Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. Good afternoon. This is Pierre Vigilance. The Junctional Thinking Podcast on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. And we are in the studio today with a good friend. Um, Junctional Thinking is one of those spaces where really we talk about the intersections between a number of different sectors and health and social impact. And so I couldn't have asked for a better person to come in to have this conversation with us about the work that he's done in the impact space as well as in the social service and human service space over the last few years because that's where we find there to be opportunities for innovation and there to be opportunities for great things to happen with partnerships. And that's basically the basis of junctional thinking and why it is that we have these conversations in the first place. So I'm very, very happy to be joined by Eric Letzinger, who uh, I will let him tell you a bit about him. But I'll tell you what I know about Eric is that this guy, first of all, comes from a couple different spaces, but a really, really locally oriented Baltimore work, D.C. work, a lot of national work here in the U.S. But, uh, you know, in... From, from the service perspective, I think service is a really big part of what it is that drives him and his mission for his work. He is a fantastic partner to a whole bunch of different people and introduced me to social impact bonds, which is something we're going to talk about today, um, a few years ago through a student, I think, that I had at the school at the time. Um, and then we've had multiple conversations since then, and the folks that are connected to him and that he surrounds himself with have also become really good advisors and connectors in a number of different ways. So I'm very thankful that he's made the time to join me here today. And without further ado, Eric Metzinger. Thanks, Pierre. What a what a treat to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great having you here. So, um, sort of want to start off just uh, talking a bit about sort of the business side of things, and then we'll sort of mix in some other parts of this conversation. So, tell us a little bit about. Well, sort of, how did you get to the point where you three years ago decided to start this company, Quantified Ventures? Sort of, what is the what is that journey, sort of, in a time warp, real quick kind of way? Sure, look at sound like. Well, it has been a journey. I think it's the right word. I've spent a third of my career uh, running uh, programs in the nonprofit sector, a third of my career running agencies in the public sector, and a third of my career running stuff in the private sector. Love them all, and have generally gravitated towards work that is at the confluence of all three of those sectors that involves all three of those sectors. Um, And when I learned about the growth of impact capital handful of years ago, um, there was a curve of capital that was growing quickly and steeply during a time when federal discretionary spending, uh, those curves are going down for the things that I'm passionate about. Um, Here was a curve that was going up. And that got my attention. And as a lot of that capital is seeking to get connected with social and environmental and health outcomes, um, that was sort of a double ear perk up moment. Um, And then 
because most of the work that I've been doing across those three sectors has been um, around the health industry, around the education industry, and around the housing industry, and around the environmental industry. Um, but it's all been around performance management. It's all been about uh, <clears throat> aligning services to be focused on delivering outcomes. Um, this felt like a great opportunity to merge all the work that I've been doing so far in my life across those three different sectors to see if we can't drive capital, uh, this new source of capital by using this impact bond model uh, to a lot of the health interventions and social services and environmental interventions um, <clears throat> that I'm passionate about. Was anybody or were there any players in this space um, that you looked to before to learn from in order to do what it is that you do with Quantified Ventures or was this a completely new space? Yeah, it's a good question. So I, 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 my, I was fortunate enough to stumble upon the good folks at Calvert Impact Capital early on in my journey within this space. And I really, I felt lucky to stumble upon them so early because they got my mind wrapped around this concept of needing to move every day towards scale. Um, and they helped me um, shape the path that I wanted Quantified Ventures to be on, which is you know, in full recognition of the need for philanthropy, in full recognition of the importance of the nonprofit sector in this work. Um, but if you're going to move to scale, um, you've got to be thinking towards the capital markets and towards replicable and scalable transactions, which starts to take you into a vocabulary of needing to have low transaction costs needing to move away from bespoke financial structures, which a lot of the impact bond market can get caught up in pretty easily. Um, and it becomes um, particularly germane when you start to think about how to measure things. Right. Um, because social impact bonds can become the, the actual pro the work associated with pulling these things together. They can become PhD studies if you let them. And if you've, unless you've got a maniacal focus on getting a transaction done, mm -hmm. uh, which forces you to move towards simple, as opposed to allowing complexity to take over, take over. Yeah. which it can and it does. Right, right, right. Now, I know some of our listeners are going to be coming from the perspective of or listening to this and have some degree of sophistication around financing deals of different sorts. Whereas others may be coming from the community-based organization, um, non-profit side of things where raising money is how they eat on a regular basis. It's not necessarily about raising money to put it into something to make money. It's about putting it into a program that you say is serving your mission. And so for, for, for those folks, we talked about the measurement piece. I want to sort of jump to that if we can and we'll sort of move around to diff some different places in here. Um, how ready do you find most organizations that might be interested in social impact bonds, how ready do you find they actually are to be able to engage in the setup of and processing through to getting 
even just the deal up, up there, let alone actually funded. So in the health sector, we work on uh, impact bonds where um, a community-based organization like the service providers that you're talking about, um, we're trying to zip up the zipper between their work and their health and health outcomes and the health plans and health systems that are in that region. Neither party is ready for this. And, and I, I don't say that disparagingly. These are organizations that are oftentimes 800 yards from each other, Mm -hmm. meaning their, their brick buildings are 800 yards from each other. And they, they have not seen themselves as operating in the same realm. Um, so it's not the, it's not just the service providers who aren't ready to begin speaking uh, the language. It's the health plans and health systems who aren't ready to speak the language. Okay. So oftentimes the structuring of these transactions becomes the opportunity for these organizations to be working together, not on a conceptual idea, but on an actual transaction with a real methodology moving left to right, which creates uh, the, the, tape, the space at the table to actually work through the vocabulary differences on working on something that's not esoteric, but it's more about how do we get this particular project financed. Right. And what we find, the number one skill set that we look for at Quantified Ventures is frankly just empathy. Mm. Um, so it's not finance, right? It's not, that's not the number one thing that we're looking for. Why? Because at that table that I'm talking about, You've got the service provider sitting there. You've got the health plan sitting there. You got a lawyer over there. You got the investor over there. You got the evaluator over there. None of those humans speak the same language. Right. None of those humans go back to their buildings in their organizations and speak anything but their own language. And so, and they have their own guardrails that they have to behave within. So, expecting everybody to be able to a speak that same language that's being spoken at that table um, requires a lot of understanding of where everybody's coming from to be able to move those players through a process of actually closing one of these transactions. Right, right, right. So we've started off actually pretty high level and maybe a little deep in the, 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 the impact bond transaction. But some people may be sort of listening and saying, well, you know, I keep hearing you talk about impact bonds and capital. So what is a social impact bond? Is there a quick, short way to define that? I know I have my own sort of definition that I've talked to you about before, but how would, what does your 101 sound like now three years in? Sure. I, I think I've been fairly simply. Um, I, when I first got to understand what one of these are, I understood it very simply, and I still understand it very simply, meaning you have a service provider, who's doing something, mm-hmm. meaning as a result of their work, they're creating some outcomes right. that are valued by another party. Right. That other party can sometimes be a government agency. Mm-hmm. It can be a health plan. Mm-hmm. It could be a health system. It could be the, the car wash around the corner, right. right? Like the service providers producing something, those outcomes are valued by that other party. That yeah. other party we call a payer or right. an outcome funder. Mm-hmm. And for a variety of reasons the list is endless, that payer or outcome funder is unable or unwilling to pay that service provider to deliver that outcome. Right. So we call that a stuck problem. 
Right. And when we find those stuck problems, the opportunity to bring in an impact investor to essentially pay that service provider to scale their program up and deliver those outcomes to that payer. Um, when those outcomes are delivered to that payer and validated mm -hmm. that the good thing happened, when the good thing happened, then and only then does that payer pay back the investor in the form of a success payment. Right. So you've got the investor then taking the financial risk off of that payer or outcome funder, that government agency or mm -hmm. the health plan, mm -hmm. shouldering that financial uh, uh, risk and then being rewarded if that full circle gets closed. Is it sometimes the case that that um, payer, um, may, the government may be watching, if you will, and not necessarily engaged as a funder of any type, but is sort of watching because they're looking to see whether or not down the road they need to become the payer. So initially the investor, if you will, will put funding into said program in order to allow for these interactions to happen and these outcomes to be, to be made. Uh, if they're made on a sliding scale, there's a return based on how well you perform because it's pay for success. And the government can watch at little to no risk to them Right for a period of time is that would that be fair to say that that, that is fair to say and and, and listen I, I think in general and again I've spent a third of my career running agencies at the municipal level in the public sector we pay for everything on the upfront right right and we pay for it and we generally hope for the best right and we don't do a lot of rigorous evaluation as to how that dollar created an outcome that we hope it will right. Um, what we like about this model is it allows the government, like you're saying, to pay on the back end for validated success. So they're buying outcomes, right, as opposed to just funding a project. Right. Um, but number two, we like this model because there's embedded rigorous evaluation right. of whether success actually happened baked into the product as a non-optional uh, element of a social impact bond deal. Good, good, good. So one of the um, things that we were talking before the show started about junctional thinking has a number of skills, behaviors, and ideals that uh, we hold dear. So one of them is the notion of being a, a lifetime learner, another one, an effective listener, and the third one, and this an L, is related to leadership. But that second one, um, the listening part, you talked about empathy, something that in another conversation we've had around design and design thinking is often conflated with sympathy, right? So sympathy, I look at it as being a very short term, I feel bad for you because of this particular thing. Empathy being more deep and getting an understanding of what it is that you experience in your space that I need to understand in order to be able to do better with that. How do you, how do you sort of, how have you grown that listening muscle, if you will, so that you can be more empathetic in the work that you're doing on a regular basis? Because you use the word empathy. So it, it's that. a good question. And there's a, there's a sub-element of what I was referring to before is that we, we, during our interview process, we really look for that empathy piece. There's another piece of that, which um, is being interested, <laughs> which is different than being interesting, mm. right? It's mm. being interested. Um, we hire interested people. Mm. And I find that if you are truly interested, mm. 
and I'm not sure you can change that or not change that. Um, I'll leave that for smarter people. Uh, but we look for interested people. Mm. Uh, because if you're truly interested, you're going to get yourself up the learning curve because you're going to listen hard and you're going to ask a lot of questions. Right. Um, so, and and it's, it's been interesting about your question about how that's pertained to me. I, I got in the space to do health uh, impact bonds mm-hmm. and education impact bonds. Mm-hmm. And as a result of jumping into this space, we're doing a lot of uh, environmental impact bonds. Not my not my core base of knowledge. Right. Um, I'm running a company with an agriculture practice and a coastal restoration practice right. and a forestry practice. Um, at 51 years old, I've had to get myself up the learning curve on three areas that I know, let's just say nothing about. Um, <clears throat> but I just find by being, I find it inc- endlessly interesting, um, but I'm also an interested person. And right. I think that's something that we look for at Quantified Ventures. That's huge. And I think that there's a quality for people who are involved in social impact work, whether or not it's involved in this finance piece or the service end of things, direct care, whatever it is, being interested consistently is probably something that makes us all better at whatever it is that we're doing if we say that we're in that space. Well, this has been great, and we're going to be coming back in a few minutes. We are on full-service radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. This is Pierre Vigilance. I'm your host, and I'm here with Eric Letzinger, CEO of Quantified Ventures, and we'll be right back in a few minutes. We are back. This is Pierre Vigilance, your host of Junctional Thinking here on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I am joined today by CEO of Quantified Ventures, Eric Letzinger. We've been having a great conversation so far about social impact bonds, what they are, how the deals are structured to some extent, or basically the basic components of what they are and, and who's involved. Um, really interesting conversation about um, readiness. I actually, somewhat presumptively, was asked a question relating to, from the perspective of the organizations, the community-based organization, the service provider not being ready, 
but then it's actually a bit broader than that and uh, you know that's really really important piece of things you recently did some work with Meals on Wheels um, and I think that as a concrete example of how this works or might work it'd be really good for you to talk a little bit about that particular project and why it was so interesting to you and what happened sure yeah this is a great one and a phenomenal organization so We've been working with uh, Meals on Wheels of America, which is the association of all the Meals on Wheels programs around right. the country, of which there's many. Uh, because it, it, it became very clear when they started to uh, evaluate the impact of their service, right, which has grown beyond more than just a meal, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's um, by delivering a meal uh, to a senior um, and actually uh, talking to them. And I know that sounds soft, but it's not. It's actually the thing that moves the needle. Um, And then number three, doing a safety check in the house. You've moved a a simple function of delivering a meal uh, into something that is elevated, that has significant health impacts. Absolutely. And then, so when we started to look around at various regulatory environments that could support the Meals on Wheels programs locally, with working with their health plans. Um, there is a regulation in the state of Maryland, the global budget, um, that actually penalizes um, hospitals for repeat readmissions. Absolutely. Um, and that becomes a trigger uh, for us to look at opportunities to zip up the zipper between Johns Hopkins hospitals and local community-based organizations yes. who are delivering health outcomes. Yes. So with the Meals on Wheels transaction, what we're doing is uh, just in, in, in at, the, at the highest level, uh, when a Johns Hopkins uh, patient, a senior, is discharged from acute care, that name goes to Meals on Wheels now, and Meals on Wheels does what it does well which is goes to that home, delivers the meal, talks to that person, um, and does a safety check in the house. And as a result of uh, doing that, the theory is, is that it will reduce um, those readmissions that are triggering penalties to Johns Hopkins system. Right, right. And it's out of those savings, the reduced penalties, that as that circle starts to successfully get completed over large numbers of people, those penalties um, or lack thereof start to accrue in the form of success payments back to the investor who took that financial risk to scale up this program to be serving large numbers of seniors in the city of Baltimore. Right. And I think what's what's beautiful about not only that example, but most of these examples is, is that the service provider, in this case Meals on Wheels, does something that the beneficiary, if you will, not the user, the beneficiary being the health plan, doesn't and cannot do. Johns Hopkins is not a meal service provider, right? Meals on Wheels is not a health care provider. But at the intersection between what Meals on Wheels does and what Johns Hopkins does and needs with respect to its users, there is value at that crossroads, at that junction. And I think that that, for me, is what makes even before the whole junctional thinking thing started, that's what made the social impact bond sort of click for me. It was just like, well, I don't do that, but that benefits the people that I serve, so why not partner with people who do whatever that is, in this case, Meals on Wheels, 
and get them to do some of these things that will improve aging in place opportunities, for example, for seniors, which reduce costs in some other ways that are completely unrelated to the program, but add benefit and create community and all those sorts of things. So You got it. And, and then and back to your original question about what, what are the enabling conditions that make some of these transactions happen? Mm-hmm. And I give a lot of credit to Meals on Wheels of America and the Meals on Wheels of Central Maryland program, which is the one operating in Baltimore, mm-hmm. because they had both organizations had invested um, significantly in measuring the outcomes of their programs. Yeah. So by the time this model rolls around, it becomes uh, they had those enabling conditions in place mm-hmm. to be able to join with Johns Hopkins and Quantified Ventures through that journey of actually structuring these transactions. Good, good, good. And it's, it can't be, I don't want to academicize this, I'm not sure if that's a word, don't play me in Scrabble. But if we aren't able to quantify these various things and haven't done the work necessary to understand what moving this needle would do with respect to this outcome and how that would work down the road. That's where your evaluators come into play. That work hasn't been done. Then it makes it much more difficult and I would say pretty much impossible to actually engage in one of these deals. Is that Would that be fair? Yeah, and just I, I think about it nice and simply, which is there is an investor, mm-hmm. right? And in that investor, remember, they're not looking to lose all their money. Right. So they want to make a good bet. And... In order to make a good bet, you've got to have some evidence for them to ana- right. analyze whether this is a good bet or yeah. a bad bet. Yeah. And yeah. the worse the bet, the higher the rate of return they expect. Yes. And once these rates of return get too high, the deal falls apart. Right. Because nobody's going to pay that rate of return, right. Right. given how risky this is. This is, right. So r- risk management uh, or sort of tolerance for risk um, requires this little P word, patience, sometimes, right? And uh, we might have a really good idea at Community Based Organization X or Health Plan Y of doing this particular thing, this particular way, vacuum cleaners for every house that's got whatever situation that we have in there. And, um, but it's not, now is not the time for it. How or where have you had experience in dealing with? some partner who is ready to go ahead and do something but it's really not the right time to do it so you've had to either yourself or on behalf of the partner pull the reins back a bit and have them be a little bit more patient about how they engage and when they engage has that sort of come up at all oh yes uh every day and it's once again a very poignant question um i am not by nature a patient person um (laughs) these are uh, multi-party transactions mm-hmm. uh, back to the table. Right? right, You got the service provider and the payer and the this and the that. And nobody is already at the same time. Right. Um, so there is, just by nature of this work and doing multi-party transactions, whether it's social impact bonds or another vehicle, um, you've got to find a way to be patient. Right. Um, that said, it's a real, the, what makes it such a great question is Um, I think there also needs to be a sense of urgency Mm. uh, because at the end of the day, we're fighting for seniors getting the care that they need. Right. Right. And, and, and we're talking about scaling up a program that could make a real difference in human health for real humans who are at home now. And there's a service that could help them. Right. 
So I think on one level, that level of urgency drives us to move faster than slower. Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, uh, sometimes that patience becomes um, something you have to deploy in order to achieve that first objective. Right. And I think that the mission, there can be this urgency to the mission, but then the execution, the steps that we take to meet the mission or to meet the vision even further further up in the sort of our thinking of things, that execution may have some levers on it or some reins on it, if you will. But the urgency, it's kind of like the basic premise of being interested so you need to be interested. And you need to be considering these things as urgent. They, that's your baseline. And then what you layer on top of that is going to be the moving of the, uh, uh, the dials or the, or the levers, if you will. And yeah. Maybe some yeah, I there. think that's very well said. I, listen, I, I, this is what I like about talking to you, Pera, because you, you always bring up these crisp, totally right on work. And, and it, it's right to be talking about patience and it's so right that it's something that I struggle with on a daily right. basis. That's what makes it so right. Yeah. Because I do think we live right at this intersection of the need to be, to bring a sense of urgency mm-hmm. with the need to be patient. Right. And oftentimes I screw that up and have the wrong balance of this and the wrong balance of that on both sides. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that it's a, it's one of the things that as a, the more people that I talk to about, sort of these behaviors and ideals that they get give me a similar reaction to what you just did which is oh you know I struggle with that and if I think about myself with respect to patience I'm not necessarily very good at it or I am way too patient I allow for all kinds of other things to happen and I don't push things forward but but if you don't bring it up then people don't get to have that introspective moment for themselves or for their organizations in order to move or not move on something. Um, I talked a little bit before about, not today with you, but um, with some other folks about something called the dynamic grip. This idea that in any sport where you have to hold a racket or a bat or anything like that, I don't know if there's any sport where they tell you, hold on to that thing with a vice-like grip, white-knuckled, like you won't ever let go of it. You know, clearly, if you're on a bar that's preventing you from falling 50 feet, you would do that, but golf club, tennis racket, hockey stick, any of those things, there's some flexibility to your grip. And once you loosen up your grip slightly, you're better able to control exactly how the ball comes off the racket. Um, the firmer we are with that grip, the less flexible we are, the, the more impatient we are, if you will, then we're going to keep doing, keep getting that swing wrong, and we're not going to have the outcome that we're looking to have. So I think that's the sort of way I think about it, but... So part of the reason why I was asking you. Yeah, that's interesting. Here's something that has happened to me um, that makes me panic less when Mm. we're going to need to slow down a project. Okay. We've run into multiple situations where, okay, things are moving fine. We're structuring. We're moving through the process. We're months into it. We stumble upon something that basically makes us realize the language we use is that we're going to need to put this on ice for a couple months mm-hmm. and let that issue play out. Mm. Right. And so we'll put the, every single time that we have put a project on ice, it has always come up beneficial. 
literally every single yeah. time, yeah. which is perfectly analogous to your grip on the on the tennis yeah. racket. Um, meaning something is played out by by stopping for a while. Mm-hmm. Some idea will come about mm-hmm. to the deal team that's not maybe the thing that we're waiting for, right. but something un planned for or right. unexpected will appear during that window of being on ice um, that I I'm starting to get better as a human of not panicking and when we are presented with the need to put projects on ice right no, no that, I, I love that and I love that and it's great that you have that experience to express to our listeners about this particular way of thinking about things um, just a reminder to all of you who are listening, this is uh, Pierre Vigilance on Junctional Thinking uh, here on Full Service Radio with uh, Eric Letzinger, uh, CEO of Quantified Ventures. And we're going to continue this conversation and talk a little bit about um, partners. Like You just made a comment about the humanness, your own humanity and your own sort of way of thinking about and doing things, that there being these language gaps between different folks who may literally be across the hall from each other but aren't necessarily communicating very well. How does Quantified Ventures go about the business of partnering? Or are there partnerships that come to you? Or do you go out and create the partnerships? How does that work? Well, let's hear it. So technically, we think about what we're trying to build at Quantified Ventures is we're trying to get good at structuring these transactions from idea to close. Uh, you know, we were just just got a call from the Yellowstone National Parks. They got a bison problem. They're talking about doing a bison impact bond. No idea how to do that, but we have a left okay. to right process uh, and a methodology mm-hmm. that's a lot of two steps forward, one step back. Mm-hmm. But it's a it works and mm-hmm. it's efficient. Um, what we're uh, quite dependent on is partnerships with deep subject matter expertise. Mm-hmm. Meaning, I'm not trying to build a company that's got deep expertise in bison and all the challenges associated. I'm trying to build a company that's got a solid process that's efficient, that moves left to right towards a transaction. Mm -hmm. Um, What that, what that enables though, is we don't, we partner with subject matter experts in the due course of doing our work. And we're dependent on those subject matter experts. And you combine that with a bunch of interested people who are good at moving left to left, right. Um, and um, the other quality in addition to that being interested is just that, just that intellectual curiosity, right? And you marry those combinate those skills together with a subject matter expert who loves being a subject matter expert right. and loves being respected as a subject matter expert. Um, but who isn't, trying to pretend that they're good at moving left to right through a financial uh-huh. transaction, you end up with a really nice marriage of humans uh, going through a process. Right. So you just what you just said is if, as long as if people know their lanes, if you will, right? So we have some process people who don't necessarily need to know bison, but then you've got a bison person who knows bison but doesn't necessarily know the process. But bringing those pieces, again, it's, it's an intersection, right? It's a, it's a space where one skill set crosses over another skill set, but it's at the junction that the work happens. Because on either one of the roads individually, there's no junction. 
So there's two qualities that we look for in a, in a partner, just to take this to one level deeper. Go ahead. So the subject matter expertise is, uh, the, those are table stakes, right? That's the ante up. <clears throat> These are hard to pull together. Mm. So you've got to bring two qualities uh, that we look for. Number one is grit, because things are going to go badly. Yep. Things are going to fall apart, and you've got to be comfortable going to, down a journey, going down a path where you're going to be calling it quits on plenty of Fridays, thinking this thing is over, right? This thing just landed in the gutter. We're not going to figure out our way through this. And it's oftentimes an email on Sunday or somebody will say, hey, why don't we flip this upside down Try and this. do a chicken rather than a rhombus? And, uh, and suddenly we're back on track, mm-hmm. right? And so you've got to have that, that grit to get yourself through that process. Right. And, and that desire to keep going. And then number two, you've got to find joy in the journey. Mm. Um, this stuff is, like I said, these are hard. Uh, these are not for the faint of heart. And um, we like to uh, embark on these journeys with folks who, when it's raining, uh, can find a way to uh, sing and enjoy the day. I think that that is such a great way to close this conversation because I feel like we started off talking about some very specific things related to it probably sounded like a very finance oriented show and I think that or episode and I think that that's appropriate because it's social impact bonds we're talking about but what you bring to this and this is why I love our conversations is that there's that but then alone that's not enough the, the finance part of it is not sufficient it's like the, so, the subject matter expert alone is not sufficient you have to have the people who are able to move the process but you have to have the humanity end of things in order to be interested enough to do the deals and to be engaged in the work because it's good work to do because you're trying to change an outcome for somebody for whom that might not happen otherwise and so a couple of things that you said that I really appreciated too is the sort of that the, the patient, um, patient urgency, we'll call it that, this notion of being urgent about the mission, but patient with respect to the steps and willing to put things on ice, as you said, and then joining the journey, because I think that you know, if we're not looking to drive outcomes for others, that's the joy, but then there's going to be some parts of it that we're not going to love along the way so we have to have grit to get through the journey but there is joy in the journey and there's joy at the end of it so Eric thank you so much for your time today Uh, it's been really good sitting down with you it always is but it's great sitting down with you in this format and hopefully the information that we've talked about is inspiring to people who are out there trying to work at different junctions may not necessarily be the social impact bond space but hopefully they learned a bit about that and again this is Pierre Vigilance host of Junctional Thinking here on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Washington, D.C., in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C., at that, uh, with Eric Letzinger, CEO of Quantified Ventures, and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C., Full-service radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full-service radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. 
If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening.